Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. Pastor George turns our attention to the octopus and the similarities between the Apostle Paul and that amazing creature. Let's listen together. All of a sudden, there's a lot of interest in octopi. That's the plural of octopus. You do know that. There's a film called My Octopus Teacher, which received an Academy Award this year. It's worth seeing. We watched it. It's about a man who had scientific training and background, who lived on the tip of the Cape in South Africa, and the beach below his house was a kelp bed at the bottom of the ocean. And he used to do a lot of uh, diving there with a mask and investigating, and he got fascinated with the octopus, octopuses, octopi, and, and with one particular octopus. And he did experiments that showed how intelligent, yes, intelligent, how responsive, how emotional this one octopus could get, how attached the octopus got to him. The whole film is about this, and it is fascinating. You know, octopi are unusual because their closest cousins genetically are things like clams and uh, oysters. Shellfish, that's what they're related to. I mean, we don't even think of these as beings. They're edibles. And uh, about 140 million years ago, according to science, the octopus got rid of its shell, and it's so mobile. It found out it could move faster. It could catch animals. And octopus and relatives have been around ever since then. They are able to exist because they don't have the protection of the shell because they're pretty fast. They're able to camouflage and fit in with their background. Uh, they're able to uh, ooze into tiny spaces. I mean, it's amazing. I read that a, now octopuses, octopi, range from little tiny creatures, almost microscopic, to very large critters. And that a 600-pound octopus can squeeze through an opening the size of a quarter. Can you imagine that? I think some of these pictures demonstrate that. It's amazing. And they are intelligent. That's weird. And, and, and intelligence is only seen in some of the higher vertebrates and the octopus. I also found out that human eye is unique compared to other eyes in uh, nature, like in, in sick insects and so forth. They're very different. But human eye or vertebrate eyes and octopus eyes are very similar, the way they operate. I don't know, this is one of God's little mysteries or, or jokes. But the octopus is getting a lot of attention. You'll see a lot of it now on the advertisements for the LA Aquarium. And, and people are octopus sensitive now. <laughs> Our sermon series, to change the subject radically, 
is on the subject of the newborn church. And we have looked at the experience in the book of Acts of how the church emerged in the world and how it took the shape that it has. We went through various characteristics we saw in the early church, beginning with a strange one, waiting, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit, and on and on. We've gone through all of these very important attributes of the church that occurred right there in the first century and how they persevered through in different shapes through the centuries and how we see them in our day. And now we're looking in the next to the last of this series, we're looking at a quality that we haven't mentioned before. It's called, I'm calling it, adaptability. Adaptability. The church's adaptability was critical to its making it in the early world. The apostles and the early believers in the church knew that there had to be some kinds of leadership structure to keep the base solid. And they appointed deacons as well as apostles. And they tried to define some roles and functions. And in order to fulfill the Great Commission, they had to be somewhat organized. But if they got too organized, it was going to be a problem. Because they were always under persecution. They always had to move. And they always had to be willing to change. And when the organization changed and hardened into an inflexible skeleton, that became a problem because the church couldn't go places. It went before. A skeleton, we all have it in common with horses and, and toads and fish and, and uh, even dogs. And skeletons give us our shape. We, we think of human, what is attractive in a human. Well, it's because of the shape the skeleton gives us. We build on that some pretty weird things, but it begins with our skeleton. But the quality I'm going to talk about today that made the church successful during its earliest days was its octopus adaptability. It was fluid. It was nimble, and it followed the octopus model without thinking too much. We're going to look at one figure at one place in the early church. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul and his ministry at Corinth. Now, Corinth is right in the middle of the map here. If you look on the uh, left, you'll see the boot of Italy with Rome at the top. If you look to the right, you see the edge of Turkey, and south is North Africa. That's the Mediterranean Sea, and right in the middle of that is Corinth. And Corinth was part of Greece, and it was a seaport city. That's what made it exist. It was involved in international trade. It was a cosmopolitan city of all sorts. So we're going to look at the book of Acts of Paul's first encounter with the Corinthian church, and then we will uh, turn to the book of Corinthians and follow that up. So turn with me to Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens, a town a little to the north of Corinth, and he went to Corinth. And there he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus that was over in Asia Minor, who had recently come from Italy. Huh, now, here, 
Aquila went from Asia Minor or Turkey to Italy to Corinth. That's how cosmopolitan this city was. And uh, he went there because Claudius, the Roman, Roman emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. It was part of a persecution against the Jews at that time. So Paul went to see them when he was in Corinth because he always started with the Jewish community. And uh, he stayed with them and they worked together by trade. They were tent makers. And every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogues and would try to convince the Jews and Greeks. I mentioned last week how important the dispersion of the Jews was to the early church. The Jews had been dispersed because of Roman persecution of them and because they were part of the Babylonian captivity for so many uh, generations. So they were all over the, the, the world at that time. And anywhere the, the Christians went, there were Jews there before them. So Paul gravitated to that Jewish community. Now remember, Paul had been brought up as a rabbi. And although he had been loosened up in a lot of ways for his ministry, uh, he still had that very sensitive heart to Jewish Orthodox law and so forth. Continuing with verse five, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedon, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word. That's what Paul was about, proclaiming the gospel, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. The one they were longing for, looking for, the one who would bring in the kingdom of God, the savior, that's what the name Jesus means. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now, I, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, just three chapters before in the book of Acts, we read this previously about the council in Jerusalem where they had this big meeting of, uh, about whether Gentiles who converted to Christianity had to keep the Jewish law, and they decided they didn't. And yet there were some sensitivities about not offending one another that were part of that. But here, when Paul went to Corinth, he was testing that out. He was ministering to the community through the Jewish synagogue, and he was finding the Jewish leadership to be an obstacle to his sharing the gospel. So when he shook his feet in the synagogue, that was a big step for Paul, because you remember, he was a dedicated Jew. And when he said, I'm turning from you, I'm going to the Gentiles. And how far away did he go? Well, we'll read it in verse seven. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So a worshiper of God is a Gentile who is attracted to Judaism, but hasn't fully uh, converted to the Jewish faith. Those were prime objects of the preaching of the gospel. They were already sensitized, and many of the converts to Christianity came from that group. So Paul moved next door into the house. He wanted to be as close as possible. Then we read in verse eight about the 
official of the synagogue. His name was Crispus. Notice he had a Gentile name. So he also was probably assimilating to Gentile culture. And he became a believer in the Lord together with all his household. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. One night the Lord said to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you for there are many in this city who are my people. Why would Paul be afraid? Well, there was a lot to be afraid of. He was, he was trying to find a way to be a Jewish believer in a Gentile culture and it was very tough. What should he do? How should he act? How should he react to the, what he considered to be sinful behavior around him? Verse 11, it says, he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now that's almost a throwaway line, but a year and six months, that's the longest the apostle Paul stayed anywhere during his ministry years. He really was dedicated to that Corinthian church. As hard as it was, this sailor's town where you had all kinds of dens of iniquity around you in the Gentile world, where the Jewish community was torn between pulling up its skirts and withdrawing and compromising. And Paul had to find a way to be in all of that and to still proclaim the gospel. What a great challenge that was. <clears throat> Verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, that's uh, the governor at that time, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. He doesn't have the skeleton. Totally compromising situation Paul found himself in. There were many laws and rules and regulations that Paul really cared about. They were part of his upbringing, part of his understanding of the Christian faith. And yet he had a primary calling and that was to preach the gospel. And anything that stood in the way of preaching the gospel, Paul was gonna find a way to get around it. Listen to verse 14. Just as, as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, it was a matter of crime, of serious villainy, I would be justified in accepting the complaint of you Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, that's how Gallio saw the arguments between them. See to it yourselves, I do not wish to judge in these matters. And he, he dismissed the uh, tribunal. Paul could have been a judge in those matters. He was trained to be a judge in those matters, but he wasn't going to judge in them either because he had a higher calling. It was to preach the good news of salvation through Jesus. Verse 17, then all of them seized Sosthenes, the official of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of these things. After staying there for a considerable time, this happened kind of in the middle of his year and three months stay. A considerable time afterwards, Paul stayed and tried to live in this kind of tension between the law and a sinful community around them. And then he 
said farewell to the believers. He sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila at Centria. Now listen to this. At Centria, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. So you see, even though Paul was compromising in every way to get the gospel out, even though he was criticizing those who made it a law, obedience to the law, a, 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 a reason to reject the Gentiles, Paul, Paul looked like he was a compromiser. He still, in his personal life, practiced Judaism to the point where he took a vow that required a certain haircut, kind of like mine, I think it was. <laughs> Compromise all over the place. And yet, in his own personal life, he was an Orthodox Jew. That's, that's really amazing. Think of the pressure, the tension that Paul was under, all because he wanted to be focused on getting the gospel out there. Now, here's how this worked in practice. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians now, and uh, his two letters to the Corinthian church are full of, they're some of his earlier letters, and they're full of personal instances of, uh, of uh, where he had encountered problems and how he had resolved them. So, uh, we're beginning in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Am I not free? Yeah, I'm free. I'm an apostle. Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? So first, first Paul's claim to apostolic authority, that was number one. Then he was an eyewitness of Jesus. Are you, are you not work my work in the Lord? Thirdly, he had a stake in winning all of them. They were his spiritual children. So he was an apostle. He was an eyewitness of the Lord. He had won many of them and influenced the founding of that church. And yet, and yet, he did not pull rank. He did not say, it's this way because I said it's this way. If I am not an apostle, verse 2, to others, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship to the Lord. Nevertheless, listen to this. Nevertheless, I, we, he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right because we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no grounds for boasting, for an obligation is laid upon me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. It is an obligation, and anything he does that can put an obstacle in the way of proclaiming the gospel of Christ in a winning way. That is, telling people about Jesus in a way that they get it personally. That's what Paul's priority was. And in order to do that, he had to put a lot of things to the side that he might have really cared about. But he did not affirm those rights. If we... Throughout the history of the church, the skeleton shape, you know, really shaped the church and it became pretty rock solid. It became buildings, it became rules and regulations, it became a hierarchy of pope and priests and bishops and all. And that skeleton isn't very adaptable. It's not octopus-like. 
but if the church's skeleton hampers the proclamation of the gospel, we have not fulfilled our obligation. Verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I'm entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation, I make the gospel free of charge. What are, what are the strings attached? None, Paul says. God offers his love to you, whoever you are, Jew, Gentile, whatever your lifestyle, whatever you've come out of, whatever your history is, free of charge, free of, of, of restrictions and obligations. Now there are all kinds of things that come after you're accepting the love of God, but the love of God comes to you with no strings attached. I make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights. My rights. I can affirm my rights, but my obligation is to preach the gospel. And here's a powerful statement in verse 19. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. Wow. What a journey for Paul. I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. It's almost like Paul is saying, I became an outlaw so I could win the outlaws. To the weak, I became weak. Now we know from other places in Paul's uh, letters that when he talks about the weak and the strong, he's talking about it in terms of lifestyle. So Jews, who uh, in, in, were successful in imposing the regulations of Judaism on Gentile converts were subjecting them to Judaism, but not to the gospel. So those Gentiles who recognized that they were free of all of that, Paul called them strong. Those who submitted to the Jewish law, Paul called them weak. But then Paul said, I'm willing to be weak, to save the weak. To the weak I became weak, verse 22, so that I might win the weak. I have become, oh my, Paul, no. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. What you saying? So I have memories of a guy back in the 60s by the name of Arthur Blessett, who was a Baptist minister preaching the gospel. Because he was a Baptist, he didn't wear clerical robes, but because he went in some strange places, he put a collar on so people would know he's a minister. And then he carried his cross across the country. I don't know whether you, any of you ever read about him. I actually did an interview with him many years ago. And he had, his cross had a wheel on it, and he carried his cross. And there were pictures in the press of his cross on the outside of a bar, leaning up there while he was in, hanging over the bar, drinking Coke, to preach the gospel to people. That's what I thought of when I thought of Paul. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel so that I might share in its blessing. Wishy-washy Paul, chameleon Paul, 
No backbone, Paul. You won't stand for the truth. Let me introduce you to Octopaul. Octopaul refuses to apply rules of Christian living which he personally strongly believes in in order to preach the gospel. Octopaul gives up his rights as a key leader and apostle in the church in order to preach the gospel. Octopaul refuses to apply rules of Christian living, which he strongly believes in. He squeezes through tiny openings in society, just like an octopus, in order to stay close to people who need to hear the gospel. He gives in on arguments, even over important issues, when they keep him from sharing the gospel. So am I advocating a, a church with no backbone? No. I mean, we need the skeleton sometimes, but here's what I am advocating. I'm saying on the authority of the Apostle Paul in this age that ABC in 2021 needs to be adaptable, fluid, nimble, creative, squeezing through impossible openings to get the gospel good news to the people of our time and place, to our difficult Corinth. We can't let the bones of tradition and structure keep us from going through the smallest openings to get to a person, to get close to a person who needs to hear the good news. I guess I'm advocating that our time and place requires us to be kind of octopus-like. We've got to make the gospel first, that God really loves people and wants to connect with them, and he showed it by sending his son into the world. Everything else takes second place. We'll squeeze through any opening to get to express the gospel. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be very, very aware of the calling we have so that we're not just locked into past behavior, not just traditional church life, but recognize that our job is really to tell your story to the world. And then we need to get a fresh insight to what that story is and to get excited about it. And then we need to be uncompromising in the way we tell it, that we need to put everything else in a secondary position, even to look like we don't have a skeleton in order to get that word out. We ask that you will do that among us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, 
We pray God's blessings on you this week.